Convicted and Convinced, a message from God's Word for you. The Temple Sermon. It's not original with me. It comes out of the Bible, at least in many Bibles. That's the title at the top of Jeremiah chapter 7. So I'm interested in talking about my friend Jeremiah today. I regard him as a friend because he was such an interesting personality. I've read his book many times and he emerges as a human, right? Very human. He's even called the weeping prophet because he, uh, he felt the issue so much and felt frustration so much. So uh, today we're going to see what Jeremiah has to, uh, to tell us in this sermon. Who was Jeremiah? Well, I know that you know, but we'll just comment on a few of the things. Uh, he was a man for the time, born about 640 BC, long time ago. And uh, that's a time when there were all sorts of sad things happening. About a hundred years earlier, the great King Hezekiah had been true to God, guided and encouraged by the prophet Isaiah. But then after the death of Isaiah and Hezekiah, things went downhill badly. It was a period of, of terrible apostasy and chaos. And then the great-grandson of Hezekiah Little Josiah was born, and he was made king at eight years of age. There was some hope because there were good counselors encouraging this boy to be what he should be, one who would bring the people back to God. So who was Jeremiah? Well, he was a humble priest who also was called to be a prophet. He lived at a place called Anathoth, a little village just three or four miles north of Jerusalem. And uh, uh, so he was close to the uh, place of worship, the temple in Jerusalem where he would, where he would function for the rest of his, his life. Who was Jeremiah? A gentle person gentle, humble, and sort of, of a retiring personality. It would have been painful for him to have to speak in the, uh, the manner that God called him to do, to rebuke the people. To be a prophet when he was young. The Hebrew word is a na'ar. We're not sure what it means, but it seems to be a youth, probably between 18 and 25, so about 20 years of age. So uh, a challenge for a young person. Who was Jeremiah? Well, he was the one who was given a very unpopular message to give at a time of crisis. It was a crisis because of the apostasy that had been so widespread. Would Josiah and Jeremiah together, and after the death of Josiah, would Jeremiah be able to uh, lead the people back to the Lord? 
The sad thing is that it didn't work that way. It was too deep-rooted. Another question, this is a special interest of mine, what does archaeology tell us about Jeremiah? And it actually tells us a lot. In the last few years, there have been quite a few discoveries. In uh, the city of Jerusalem, they have been excavating the, the area that is known to have been where David had his palace. And they're not sure whether they have the right building, but in the building that, that they have excavated, they have found the names of owners of seals. A seal, of course, is like your identity, your signature. And so they found the signature of several officials who are mentioned in the book of Jeremiah. And right there, at administrative headquarters, probably the Palace of David, or at least an administrative building nearby. That is the, uh, the seal of Jeremiah's secretary, Baruch, has been found. And there it is. Baruch, the son of Neriah, just as the Bible says. And then in 1984, I was privileged to make a discovery that uh, mentioned a person named in the book of Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 40. His name is Baalus, and it gives the name of the owner of the seal who worked for Baalus. His name hadn't been found outside the scripture since ancient times. And here it was, a little seal that came from about 700 BC, uh, 600 BC. So these things have given us details about this man, Jeremiah, and his times that have been very interesting, very helpful, and very supportive of the authenticity of the Bible, its reliability as God's Word. So the Temple Sermon. Why the Temple Sermon? Because it's right there uh, in many Bibles at the top of chapter 7 of his book. Um, we're not sure where the Temple Sermon ends. Some say that it's chapter 7 all the way through to chapter 11 because it does deal with sort of similar issues. But uh, others say, no, it's pretty clear that the division is after verse 3 of chapter 8. So the sermon is all of chapter 7 and the first three word, uh, verses of chapter 8. Well, that uh, doesn't really matter. We're going to be dealing with the first part of the sermon today. Now, if you go to Jerusalem today, what would you see? Where the temple used to be, there is the, the Dome of the Rock, one of the most sacred, uh, sacred spots to Islam. It's over the place where, pretty close to where the temple was. Some say that the rock, and you'll see a picture of the rock here, uh, in the basement of this, uh, underneath the great dome of the Dome of the Rock, that this rock marks the place where the altar of burnt sacrifice was located in the ancient temple, the Temple of Solomon. But uh, it doesn't matter. It's, it's the approximate place anyway. So um, if, you, uh, if you think about this, this uh, building, you have to try to visualize what was there before. And artists have tried to portray what the Temple of Solomon looked like. The Temple of Solomon existed up until the time of Jeremiah. It was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar in 586 BC. But uh, it was a beautiful temple. We know that. You can read the descriptions in Kings and Chronicles and references to it. 
but it was destroyed and had to be rebuilt. And then a third temple was built by Herod the Great. It uh, was really a beautification and renewal of the one that had been built by Zerubbabel. So as you look at this temple and see the way that it's been interpreted by the different uh, artists and scholars, you can see that it had quite a few different apartments and it had different um, areas of, of worship and service. The, uh, uh, you can see from the picture that there's, there's a courtyard outside. There are several courtyards inside. Some were for priests, some were for uh, men and for women, and some were for Gentiles, the more outer ones. So it was a place of worship from the time of Solomon through until the time of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah not only served in this temple, but he, uh, he had a message for the people coming there. If you see the picture of the cutaway, you can see what it might have looked something like inside. At the front, there were two pillars in the cutaway that you can only see the one on the, on the right. They were called Yakin and Boaz. So this was a grand entrance to this temple, but it was the priests who went inside and the worshipers were crowded around in the courtyards around the outside. So I come back to the question, the temple sermon, why this title? And there's two reasons. One of them you'll, you'll find in a moment, but I'll tell you in advance. It's because the message is about the temple. The people had come to trust in the temple, and so he was given this message to teach them not to trust in the temple. The other reason is that it was delivered right there at the gateway of the temple, the entrance to the temple. There were probably quite a number of gates, different traditions about that, but there were gates. And Jeremiah is told, and we'll go to Jeremiah chapter 1 to read it, he is told to deliver this message at the gateway of the temple. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. Let's pause there. Why are the people coming to the temple? To worship the Lord. That's what they were supposed to be doing. The, the word in Hebrew for worship is kawah, but that's not the point. The point is that that is a unique verb. In, in Hebrew, there are certain patterns for different verbs. This one is unique. And it, it means to come and to cast yourself down in humility and adoration before the Lord. Kawah. Come and worship the Lord. So the people are supposedly coming to the temple to worship the Lord. And then it goes on. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. Reform. It means absolutely change your way. Reform your ways. Make them, make them different from what they have been. They need to be reformed. Your actions and your ways, and then I will let you live in this place. Now, 
maybe they didn't realize it. There had been prophecies made before that if Israel went astray, they would be taken into captivity. And go right back to Deuteronomy 28, where it predicted that this would happen if they were wayward. But here the Lord is saying through Jeremiah, if only you will really reform your ways, I will let you stay on in this place. This place, probably meaning Jerusalem, the city, and Judah and the territory around it, you will be able to stay on here. But as the book of Jeremiah proceeds, it tells us how that the apostasy continued, and sure enough, they did go into captivity. Uh, Jeremiah reassures, but there'll be a coming back when uh, the people repent, and that, that certainly happened. So uh, we read on in verses 4 and 5, don't trust in the temple. That was the problem. They were trusting in the fact that the building was there. So ask God to change your hearts. That'll, that'll be a real reforming of your ways. Do not trust in deceptive words, it says, and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. It's like a, a mantra. We've got the temple of the Lord here, and so nothing bad can happen. That was the way the people had come to trust in the building instead of entrusting in the Lord. If you really change your ways, very strong statement, if you really change, if you really mean it and do change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, so it affects the way you relate to other people, notice there's if there, there's three ifs. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the alien, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave your forefathers forever and ever. If is conditional, right? There's a condition. If only they will follow the instruction, God will allow them to stay on there and the land of Israel will be quite different from the way it turned out to be because they did not uh, follow the instruction. The rebellion continued instead. And so we have Jeremiah 7 verses 8 to 11. And it's shocking, it's horrifying if you can visualize it. The people there coming to the temple, supposedly to worship. But what does Jeremiah say? But look, you are trusting in deceptive words. What deceptive words? The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, right? We have the temple of the Lord, so nothing bad can happen. Deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder and commit adultery and perjury burn incense to Baal and follow other gods that you have not known and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we're safe, safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. So the people were coming to worship not actually in the temple, but in the precincts of the temple, in the courtyards around it. And they were, while they were supposedly worshiping, their minds was running upon all the profit they were going to make and all of the actions they were planning for the week that followed, all sorts of destructive and uh, 
evil things were being, were being planned so that, it says, the house appears to have become like a den of robbers to you. Uh, some translations give it a bandit's hideout. They've made the temple into a bandit's hideout. Interestingly, Jesus actually quotes part of this verse in Matthew 21 verse 13 because the abuse of the temple at that time it had become a marketplace and so the, uh, the worship of the Lord was hindered, corrupted by the, uh, the attitude and the actions that were going on there and being planned there by these people. Jeremiah next gives an illustration And uh, it's, uh, it's contained here in verses 12 to 15. Now, the place it talks about is Shiloh, which we mentioned in our Sabbath school lesson this morning. Shiloh, the place where the tabernacle was first located during the time of Joshua when Israel came into the land. They set up the tabernacle at Shiloh. So what does Jeremiah say about this? Well, the Lord, actually, speaking through Jeremiah, Go now to the place in Shiloh where I first made my dwelling, a dwelling for my name, and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. While you were doing all these things, declares the Lord, I spoke to you again and again, but you did not listen. I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore, what I did to Shiloh, I will now do to the house that bears my name. The temple you trust in, the place that I gave to you and your fathers. I will thrust you from my presence, just as I did all your brothers, the people of Ephraim. Ephraim is a name uh, that is often used for the northern tribes. Remember, Israel had split into the northern tribes and Judah and Benjamin in the south. So the northern tribes were sort of dominated by Ephraim, the largest tribal territory with a big population that was just north of Jerusalem. So Ephraim stands for Israel. What happened to Israel? More than a hundred years earlier, Israel had gone off into captivity. So the Lord is saying, look, you're trusting in a building, but a building can't save you. Remember what happened to the tabernacle in Shiloh. You remember in the time of Eli, his sons had taken the Ark of the Covenant out into the battlefield and it was captured and Eli's sons died that day and Eli himself died as he heard the news. But what happened to Shiloh? Apparently the Philistines came up in their victory of Israel, they came up and destroyed the town of Shiloh. They may not have destroyed the tabernacle, they had a sort of a, a reverence for for sacred things or maybe a superstitious attitude to it so they probably didn't destroy that because we read about it a little bit for further along but the town was destroyed I was there one day with uh, one of my uh, students and uh, we visited Shiloh we drove in a little rental car and uh, you drive in through a gateway it's all heavily guarded because it's it's an island, one of these settlements in Palestinian territory, but a beautiful settlement with uh, beautiful flowering trees, a lovely place. But over there at one side is a pile of ruins. It's the old city of Shiloh. That's all that's left of old Shiloh. Today's modern village is 
sort of unrelated to it. So what the Lord says is, remember what happened to Shiloh. So what's going to happen to Jerusalem by implication? If you're trusting in the building, you have the wrong idea. So um, the problem continued during the period of Jeremiah's ministry. What was the problem of Israel? Well, there's really two problems. The first, Israel had come to believe that because they had the physical temple with them in Jerusalem, they were safe from any danger or threat. They thought that nothing could touch them because God's house was in the midst of their city. Therefore, they felt that they could do anything that they liked, no matter how evil it was. And nothing bad would happen because they had the house of God there. Their second problem was that they trusted in their rituals and offerings. Rituals and offerings. They have their place, but they were trusting in the rituals and, and offerings. If I bring a big offering, God will bless me. That's not quite right, is it? Although God does bless, and Malachi tells us that. He will bless the offerings that we faithfully give and the tithes that we bring. But they were doing it and trusting in their offerings. Therefore, we'll be okay because we gave a good offering. Israel trusted in their rituals and offerings, but these are of no value in themselves. Jeremiah chapter 6, verses 16 to 20, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads. So this is the previous chapter to the temple sermon, but it's very relevant. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. What the pioneers believed and talked about. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. Now that's a promise. If you walk in the way of the Lord, you'll find rest for your soul. Things may not always go easily, but you'll find rest for your soul as you're walking with the Lord. But you said, no, we will not walk in it. You have not listened to my words and have rejected my law. Now, that's very interesting. Uh, the Hebrew word for listen is shamah. It's the same word to obey. Now, that's interesting. The same word for obey and listen. In other words, if you really listen, you'll obey. That's why Jesus said how that people were, they had ears, but they didn't hear because they didn't want to obey. So Jeremiah has given this instruction. You've not listened to my words and have rejected my law. What do I care about incense from Sheba? That's uh, from Arabia. Incense, sweet-smelling substances brought to the temple. Lord says, I don't care about that. Or sweet calamus from a distant land. Uh, it's believed that this came from India, uh, one of the components in the anointing oil. Your burnt offerings are not acceptable. Your sacrifices do not please me. So the Lord is saying, if you are just trusting in rituals and things that you do, you're wrong. They can't help you. Remember what Micah says in Micah chapter 6, verses 6 to 8. What is really important? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. 
That's what God values. And just before that, he said, no matter how huge the sacrifices are that you bring, that's no help on itself, on its own. But rather, these are the things that you do need. So uh, Samuel, when he spoke to Saul, used a somewhat similar statement. He said, to obey is better than sacrifice. So the people have trusted in the temple and they've trusted in their efforts, their, their offerings and things like that. And uh, probably we do that a little bit, but Jeremiah has told us that rituals are no substitute for hearing the word of the Lord and following him. No substitute for obedience. Even today, baptism and communion are beautiful rituals, right? But are they of any value on their own if you don't really enter into them with your heart in sincerity? Then they are really just an outward form. So we can learn some things from this time. Ritual is no substitute for obedience. What does this mean for us in 2019, the message of the, the temple sermon? Can we be as easily mistaken as Israel was at that time? There are many good things which we should do, but which must not, we must not put our trust in them. They're not the basis of our salvation. Prayer is good, right? Prayer, our prayers are good. Bringing offerings, yes, we should do that. Observing the Sabbath, but are they the basis of our salvation? God wants us to have a genuine relationship with Him. Our relationship with Him will include these things, but the basis of our trust and salvation is Jesus. What He has done and is doing for us. So how should we worship? In fact, there are, it's pretty obvious, two types of worship. There is the corporate worship, what we are doing here in the church, and which they did in the temple back in those days, or in the courtyards around the temple. Corporate worship is very important. Worship where we are encouraging one another in our faith. This is important because uh, it, it builds fellowship and uh, encourages us as we worship together. So that's important. Remember that uh, in Hebrews it says that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So corporate worship as a group is important. We need that. It uplifts us. It puts us on a higher plane as we're sincerely worshiping together. But there's also the personal worship. Personal worship wherever we are. Uh, a number of songs have expressed this idea. The, uh, op the place where I worship is the wide open places. You can worship God wherever you are. And uh, when I was in the Avondale Symphonic Choir, we sang a song, My God and I walk through the fields together. We walk and talk as good friends should and do. There's, there's a beautiful message in that, in that and although it was a very simple tune and simple words, uh, it was our most popular song for ourselves and for others. So both kinds of worship are important. 
Because of what happened in the ancient temple, the message of Jeremiah's temple sermon could be thought of as negative, but it's not. It's a positive message. It has a positive emphasis, at least. Trust in Jesus. He's your friend and savior. Not in temples, churches, or activities. Ask for his indwelling spirit wherever, whenever, and wherever you worship. Ask for his love in your life and to give, your dedica give you dedication to truth. Ask for his purity of thought and life and worship. Jesus must be first and foremost in all of our worship. Jeremiah 29 that we read as our call to worship. If you seek him with all your heart, you'll surely find him. He's with you at this moment and will stay with you as you go and as you seek to walk with him. I know that that is my desire and I believe it's yours too, that we walk with the Lord. We have that experience day by day. Wherever we are, whatever we're doing, whatever activity we're involved in, in the back of our mind, we're walking with the Lord and he's walking with us. I pray that that will be your experience as well as mine. University Parkway Seventh-day Adventist Church in Pensacola, Florida. Our weekly podcasts are recorded every Saturday morning. Bible study begins at 9.30. The sermon begins at 11. You are invited to join us. We live stream the 11 o'clock service. You can catch that broadcast at our website, universitypkwy.org, or at Livestream. A library of previous messages is available on our YouTube channel and on our website. Thank you for listening.